Hello and welcome to Beta's monthly podcast series, How We Listen Live in Conversation. My name is Mark Brown, and I'm the founder of Beta, Beta.com, the platform enabling sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way, built for everyone working with music today. Beta's ultimate goal is to provide artists and their teams with the tools and knowledge to move their careers forward. We feel it is very important that anyone interested in working in and around the music ecosystem should have access to as many insights into the business of music as possible. We believe that the best approach is to try to do as much as you can on your own long before you start building your team. Each How We Listen Live in Conversation is presented in two parts. Part one is a short presentation by me offering tips and insights for tomorrow's artists and music industry leaders. And part two is an in-depth conversation with someone from deep within the music ecosystem, talking about their journey and sharing insights they picked up along the way. If they were starting all over again, what would they want and need to know? This podcast series features just the one-on-one conversation. You'll have to tune in live to hear the rest. Our events take place live online on Zoom last Tuesday of every month and are free to sign up and attend. Our first guest was an old friend, new music champion and BBC radio DJ, Hugh Stevens. He spoke to us from his home in Wales while I dialed in from Stockholm where I live. And yes, you may have guessed, we talked a lot about radio, but also about communities and how you can build your own around your own music career. Here's our conversation. Hello, can you hear me now? Oh, there you are. How's it going? Hi, everyone. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, welcome to Cardiff. Welcome to Club Iverbach. Oh, thanks. This is super, this is super cool. So um, we've got, you've got a couple partners from, yeah. uh, from Wales. Yeah. And do you, where's, and so do you want to tell me about them? There's two of them. Yeah, well, when you asked if I would do this, um, I jumped at the chance. I've been working in radio for 20-odd years and promoting and labels and things like that. And uh, you said, let's do it from Cardiff, from Wales in the UK, where I live. Uh, who do you want to partner with? So instantly I thought of this venue, Club Iverbach. So we'll hear from Kat from the venue in a bit. The venue will be 40 years old in uh, two years' time. And wow. Focus Wales is a festival that has been going um, for a long time in North Wales, in Wrexham, uh, but also taking artists from Wales to other events and festivals and conferences around the world. So I thought Andy from Focus Wales would be, uh, well, Focus Wales' perfect partner, really, because this is a worldwide event as well. Um, so do you want me to introduce Andy, Mark? Yeah, please do. Please do. Okay, so uh, Andy is here. So um, do you want to take it away, Andy? Tell us a little bit about the history of Focus Wales and what's your mission statement? Hi, everyone. Yes, um, so I'm Andy Jones. And I'm, yeah, I'm one of the co-founders of Focus Wales. Um, as you said, we're a showcase festival that happens in North Wales in a town called Wrexham, very much like the south by southwest i guess in wales with a conference element as well as lots of shows happening across lots of different venues around the town at night we've been going about well this year should have been our 11th year but the pandemic and whatnot um but the event itself um as i said it involves a conference in in the daytime across the three days the event tracks about 500 delegates these days um 
and from across the globe. And of an evening, we've got, yeah, up to, we're close to 300 artists performing across 20 stages, about 15,000 people. Of those artists, around 90 of them are from outside of the UK. So very much a, a focus on new artists. But then I guess a bit similar to South By, we also have some um, better known artists, let's say, that widen the net and bring in new audiences. So, you know, is that is that pretty much a decent summary for this? It's brilliant. It's a real festival, you know, that Andy and Neil and everyone who works at the festival work really hard and believe in all the artists. They're into people and they're into communications and communicating with people around the world. Um, and... It's in an interesting part of Wales. We're in the capital. I'm in Cardiff right now, but Focus Wales is in Wrexham, which, um, well, it was in the headlines recently, wasn't it, Andy? It's made news because of uh, your football club. Yeah, so Ryan Reynolds has just bought the football club. So Deadpool is a red is the slogan for our local football club. Um, (laughs) But also they're producing one of the vaccines in the town as well. So we've had had a couple of good news stories in, in the last 12 months. Uh, thank you very much for partnership, uh, partnering with us for uh, today as well, Andy. And thanks for the uh, brief on Focus Wales. Shall I introduce Kat now, Mark? Yes. Okay. Yes. So because of COVID, I'm just going to move my chair and uh, Kat's going to come in. This is Kat Morris, who's going to tell you about Club Yvod Bach. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are the headphones? Oh, they're lovely set of headphones, these, although I do sound very echoey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Club, as he mentioned, are coming up to 40 years as Club Bach. We started off um, as a sort of Welsh language social club, really, and developed over the years into a, a more of a live music venue, supporting a lot of new and emerging artists. Um, you know, we had people like The Killers and Coldplay play here before, really, before they came Coldplay and The Killers. Um, and yeah, so we now also look after Sue Festival, which who actually set up 13-ish or so years ago. Uh, we've just launched a new music label management and then publishing company. So a lot going on. All right. Well, brilliant. Thank you, Kat. And thanks. Yeah, that was brilliant. Thanks for partnership partnering with us uh, here at Club Bach. Very exciting. So you're ready for a little chat. Yeah, lovely. If, if no one else has got anything better to do, let's do it. No, all right. Okay, cool. So I, I, so I guess we should reveal to everyone that we've known each other for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, I'd have been a DJ on Radio 1 when I met you, uh, what, tw- well, 20 years ago, something like that, Mark, when you were a radio plugger. Yeah, and, um, a, long, a long time ago. A long time ago. I've still got CDs, like I'm sure a lot of people on this Zoom call in the attic, um, sitting there, sweating, collecting dust. A lot of them have your stickers on, uh, the four sticker. Um, ah, yes. You just sent me amazing records by people like Jens Lekman, funnily enough, from Sweden, where you now live. Um, I remember you telling me about the darkness really early on. You were plugging them when they you know, were trying to get their first radio plays. Um, I mean, loads of bands that you brought through as a plugger. But, but the first band was The Hives, I think. I met right. you in Cardiff the first time I ever went to Cardiff. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you knew The Hives because they were signed to Pop Tones Records, right? Correct. Exactly. So if we, and back then, which is a long time ago, like I'm, I'd like you to talk about, because I think what a lot of people are always interested in is like you had a couple of shows on Radio 1 for a long, long time. 
but can you sort of rewind to how you even got started? Because like you mentioned when we were talking last week about hospital radio, which I completely forgot about. And so like, what's your sort of origin story for lack of a better expression? Okay, so um, forgive me if I've bored you with this before, but yeah, I mean, I started when I was, so when I was a teenager, I was into magic and I was into Disney cartoons. And then I started listening to the radio when I was about 14, 13, 14, and became obsessed with radio and with um, commercial radio stations and the evening session with Steve Lamarck and Joe Wiley. And so through the uh, Duke of Edinburgh Award, the late Duke of Edinburgh, one of the things he set up was the Duke of Edinburgh Award, where you could go and ask people, you could do voluntary work and get like a certificate at the end. So I asked if I could go to a hospital radio station. So I ended up in the UK, we had hospitals have radio stations in them. I appreciate this is a luxury. I appreciate we are a Western part of the world and I appreciate this is quite a shock because not every country has these, right, Mark? It's a very UK thing to me. Yeah, and it was a big thing for DJs to um, get uh, practice and to get into the, you know, basically if you were a geek about radio, hospital radio was the place to go to. Um, and it still is. It's still brilliant, doing great things. And they play artists, and they they take requests from the patients. And it's a real community, you know. It's a real community spirited thing. So um, that's how I started. And then, I mean, I managed bands. Um, I would write reviews for local fanzines. Um, I would, you know, the usual uh, re- re- review radio uh, review songs on the radio. I'd answer phones for the local BBC radio station and all of that. And I met a producer called Bethan Elvin then when I was uh, 17 at a few gigs, a Gorky Psychotic Monkey gig in a venue called the Coal Exchange, in fact, down in Cardiff Bay, where the first ever million pound check was written because Cardiff is a big coal, was it was a big coal exporter. Um, so I met her and she knew that Radio One, the BBC funded Radio One station, was looking to set up a new show specifically for Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland um, on, on the BBC. Was that The Nations? Was that the third Yeah, it was called The Nation. So at the time, Steve Lamarck would present it. Then Zane Lowe would go on to present it. And for two hours on a Thursday, Zane Lowe would broadcast across England um wales would have us and then scotland northern ireland would have their own shows as well um and you know there was a big budget devolution was a big thing as well so wales became devolved uh, politically from the uk government around 1999 and this was kind of happening at the same time so the bbc thought okay things are changing so we need to reflect that in the output of the Uh, of the shows and then you know over the years then things or budgets were cut bbc budgets have had to be cut um and the landscapes changed you know fm you know dab wasn't a thing digital radio wasn't a thing in 99 into the 2000s when we started so you know when you look at the uk and the british isles like you know you've got um uh you know a a lot of it is a lot our main, main media is the bbc um 
there is a Radio Wales, there's a Radio Cymru broadcasting in the Welsh language as well, there's a Radio Scotland, but also across the UK, you've got all these local radio stations. So if you live in Derby or Nottingham or Northampton or Sheffield, there is a BBC radio station dedicated just to your patch, to your area as well. So um, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. And so that nation show, was that, was the goal of that to highlight Welsh bands mostly or so what so you started so you started playing mostly Welsh stuff I can't remember it's a long time ago so Uh, it was a mix we'd play uh, Welsh artists Welsh bands and when I say Welsh by the way moving on I mean bands from Wales yeah it's important to differentiate between that and Welsh language artists as well you know Welsh bands Welsh music is is for me music from Wales Um, alongside the Arctic Monkeys and uh, Simeon Mobile Disco or whoever was, you know, was relevant at the time. But what we wanted to do was portray Welsh life on the BBC and on, on Radio 1. And then we'd occasionally take those shows to stand in for Steve Lamack or Zane Lowe um, and exciting things like that. We'd be on just before John Peel. So there'd be a bit of a crossover there occasionally, which was wonderful, of course, because he'd support a lot of the artists that we were playing as well. Um, and then, you know, venues like this in Club Iverbach, we'd, we'd come here, we'd do live shows, we'd go across Wales with an OB truck and we'd put on MCs and DJ nights and we'd fit, uh, record it all and take it to air. So that's how, how we started. But that was, yeah, as I say, that was a, a long, that was 22 years ago. And then since then, I've gone on to do uh, daytime shows. So I was on Saturday, Sunday afternoon for a long time playing pop hits alongside new artists. And the difference between a nighttime show where you get to play two hours of what you want uh, on Radio 1, as opposed to a daytime show where you got to pick three records, you know, you got to pick one one an hour. Um, so you'd have to make them count then. Yeah. So, so let's just explain that to people because I think that's a question that comes up a lot. So if you, if you have a show in the evenings, you get to play more what you want, right? But then... Yeah, but I mean, uh, traditionally, but of course, as more and more radio is set up, community radio stations, uh, student, student stations, and stations like Six Music, you know, those nighttime shows can be on in the daytime. And with Listen Again, if you want to listen to a show that's broadcast at 4 a.m. at midday, then you can. So I think those lines have blurred a bit. Well, they've blurred a lot in terms of, you know, what's daytime and what's nighttime. I think more niche and more specialist radio is is the way forward, and it's what people want. Yeah, but but traditionally the way it would be, would would it be that sometime in the daytime the DJ hasn't actually picked – most of those tracks, they're picked by more of a committee. Is that right? Yeah, the playlists on stations usually, well, on you know, on Radio 1, they stop at like 6 p.m. when Annie Mack starts her show, and then the nighttime shows are all handpicked by the DJs with the producers helping out as well. Um, so, yeah, that's traditionally what used to happen. We'll be right back after this break. Beta is the platform that enables sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way. Built for everyone working with music today. What sets Beta apart is that it is unrivaled in taking advantage of audio files' unique properties. What does that mean exactly? 
Beta reads and writes file metadata, plus it converts audio file formats and delivers fast, secure, and great sounding streaming. Create, promote, and discover with Beta. Made for music. So you're doing this show, you were doing this show in Wales, like, and you'd go in and you'd have to fill a couple hours with music. How did you do that? Like, you know, it's, you don't just make it up on the fly, do you? Or like, how, how did you figure out what to play? Well, back then, um, it was a mix of, um, it was never done on the fly and it was, yeah, I've never done that. Never done a radio show. I mean, where it's just like, hey, fancy a bit of this? It's always pre-planned. I mean, occasionally there'll be the, the odds, oh, actually there's a request come in or this record actually is making us think of this record, so can you drop that in? But um, normally there's pre-planning, a lot of pre-planning going into things. Um, and back then it was a mix of pluggers sending us records. Uh, and then over the years that changed to people just sending in music. I mean, I know you said in your opening talk, Mark, that, you know, people don't send CDs in jiffy bags anymore. They cut, They still do, you know, believe it or not, in 2021, it still happens. And it's, you know, people still give people memory sticks or a CDR of things in gigs when gigs happened um, or at conferences or whatever. And it's, I mean, personally, I prefer things online. Uh, I, I think it's easier to manage. I think it's easier for everybody. It keeps costs down. It's greener, all of that. Um, and it's obviously the way forward, but, um, yeah, I mean, and then over the years, I mean, introducing was a big part of what I did at radio one as well. BBC introducing. Well, let's explain that a bit. Cause there's a lot of people who aren't on the call from the UK Sure, yeah. And because that like BBC radio, it's publicly funded. It's like the CBC in Canada or maybe PBS in the, or, or what NPR in the U S but explain what introducing was and why it actually existed. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, the BBC's got a lot of stations across the UK dotted around um, and a lot of shows, therefore, supporting new music. And I think instead of them all being islands and kind of kind of standalone islands of supporting new music, the BBC thought it'd be a good way to bring these together so that there'd be more um, synchronicity and that music would have more of an impact. So if a show in... Ireland, in Northern Ireland, uh, would hear something amazing. They could pass it forward easier to Radio 1 so they could get play on a daytime show and so on. And so the introducing shows, um, there's a website, a free-to-use website, where people can upload their music, regardless of genre, um, from classical and jazz to grime and rap and indie and rock or whatever, all the genres covered. Uh, There's no rules in terms of that. You get to upload, I think it's three tracks, and then shows, you can tick a box saying where you're based or where's relevant to you uh, geographically uh, or the shows that you think might like your music. So um, the, that's a good way of artists kind of con- contacting local radio stations uh, and DJs to get the support that they need early on. And it's worked really well. The stage, the stage goes to Glastonbury um, and Reading and it did go to Tea in the Park and... So it has a big presence, and it's 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 across the BBC really. I think the BBC, like lots of big media organisations over the last couple of years and more, have had to 
make more of an impact with less money and think about things about how to make things more um, more dramatic and more interesting to capture people's imagination and have more of an impact and it, it and therefore benefits the artists that it's playing. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. And but as you mentioned, BBC is publicly funded in the UK as well. So there's a budget there to to make this happen. So and so we're back back to Cardiff. You're you're getting sent records by people like me. That's how we met. Radio pluggers, yeah, yeah, exactly. So th these people are paid to try to convince you to play records, and we could talk about that in a bit. But like you're not just sitting there waiting for things to hit your desk. What are you, like, what are you, what are you doing to find record? Because do you just rely on, on what other people tell you or do you decide for yourself or how does that mix happen? Yeah. Well, I think naturally, um, like I'm sure everybody on this call this evening, we all find music in so many different ways and we haven't got just one route. And so, you know, I was very aware when I joined the BBC um, about like impartiality and, you know, you've got to have that kind of get up and go to find things yourself. So, I mean, where do I find music? I suppose it's the title of the session, isn't it? How we listen. Um, so, I mean, record shops have always been an important part of um, my musical discovery um, sometimes going in, hearing something, buying it and falling in love with it, like an artist called uh, Marissa Anderson, who I'm a big fan of. And I heard it being played in the Honest John's record shop once in London and thought, literally, what's this? Bought it and have been a fan of hers ever since and continue to play her on the radio. Um, so, But also like online, so I check out what Spillers Records are selling in Cardiff, what Drift Records are selling in Totnes. Piccadilly Records in Manchester, um, uh, the Rough Trade shops, of course. Although they've got so much, often it's the smaller batches and the smaller uh, shops who have more time to recommend two or three things rather than 20 or 30 things. Um, so, yeah, shops are really important. You know, listing magazines, back when gigs were a thing, uh, the, you know, the the who's being booked to play where, who's playing festival bills lower down. So I'd check out Andy's Focus Wales. I'd check out End of the Road and Green Man and Latitude Festival. And also through Latitude, I'd book a stage as well, the Lake Stage at the Latitude Festival for 10 years. And so I became sort of, uh, well, I promote a gig in London as well once a month at the social venue just off Oxford Street. And that was a free gig, three, four bands every month. So I would talk to agents then uh, in terms of finding music for that. And that then fed into my radio shows as well. So often I'd hear about bands from the agents earlier than from the radio people if there was a radio person or the record company so it was a good way of keeping um my uh, my well she is to the ground uh in terms of keeping busy i've always liked keeping busy basically i've always enjoyed finding things and hearing bits and bobs and the other place i've always enjoyed uh you know finding stuff is other people's radio shows as well and it sounds obvious, but when people ask me, how do I get into radio? The first thing I do 
I, well, f- first thing I ask is what radio shows do you, li- you know, do you listen to the radio, you know? Um, and are you making it already? Are you making radio yourself? Because there's, especially now, you've got to, there's no excuse not to be doing that, I don't think. But yeah, I listen to a lot of inc- incredible radio shows like Giles Peterson on Six Music or Tom Ravenscroft, Adam Walton on Radio Wales. Um, and yeah, and, and there's loads of great community stations as well um, in the UK, like Worldwide FM uh, is one that does incredible things. NTS is massive as well. Um, and so I find bits and bobs through there, like a musical squirrel, if you like, Mark. Like, but, but I, so one thing I'm curious about, like, because we had that question, I don't know if you heard about, about pay to play. That pay to play thing is, I think it's terrible. I think it's awful. I think if promoters want you to play, they want you to play. And it's on, you know, you do, nobody should pay to play for a gig, I don't think. Having said that, I'm aware that sometimes you have to pay petrol and you have to pay costs and you have to do things like that. Um, and, you know, that's not fair either. But my night at the social in London, I'd get a meagre budget every year, uh, every month, sorry, and split it three ways between bands. So I never made a penny off that night in 13 years. Um, the bands just about covered their costs. Um, some would sell merch, some didn't have any to sell or whatnot and would carry on. So, you know, the, the venue would make money off the bar, uh, which is how it kind of made its money. And that, that was the business plan, you know. Um, I didn't want to make money off it. And it's the same with Soon Festival in Cardiff as well. We set that that festival up 10 years ago um, and lost loads of personal money in setting it up. I, rem- you know? I remember that period, actually. Yes. Well, there you go, yeah. yeah. Uh, and never never made a penny, but it still exists. And now it's run by Club Bach, which is great, this venue. So I think, you know... I mean, we've had, you know, you've heard of bands turning up to venues and the promoter saying to them, how many people are you expecting to come and see you tonight? And that's not the band's job if you rock up in a city that you haven't been to before. It's That's the promoter's job, surely. The But now, but in your, in your role, though, like, do you, do you feel you need to go to every gig and have it be packed to be impressed? Well, if, well, if I turned up to a gig to see a band... Do and I there was no gig? one there... Do you think, oh, God, no one cares, I'm going home, or what? Oh, my God, no. I saw, I mean, I went to see a rapper called Flo Hio playing. Granted, it was at Glastonbury Festival, so, you know, there's already 200,000 people there. But when I went to see her playing, there was about, well, it was me and my wife, and there was about 10 other people there, and she was incredible, and it was amazing, and I loved her. It didn't matter that there was only 10 of us there in a huge tent, skanking away. Um so no, it does it it doesn't matter because you know, I think it only matters when um when when big companies need a hit and they need an impact and they want to know how many social media followers you have. Luckily, thanks to the BBC, and you know, I'm not you know, I am an employee of the BBC, but you know, I'm not a manager there or anything, but we can take risks and we can support artists who might not have any followers on social media and who might not have been in a proper studio or whatever. Um, that's the beauty of public service broadcasting, I suppose, isn't it? And 
so, but when you go to a gig and there's no one there, how, and, and you decide, oh, there's something in this band. Tell me a bit more because I think, again, oh, this I, comes. I up. wish, I wish, what? Do you want to know why I like music? No, no, no. I was, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was meaning like you go to these gigs and you think there's something in, in the band, right? Like you think there's something to it. And yeah. how do you, what do you do after that? Like you play it on your show, but how, oh, how, yeah. what is that journey? Artists are always curious about what's that journey where I'm playing these gigs, no one's there, but someone mm. like Hugh Stevens or Steve Lamack or Annie Mack came to my gig. Like, how do you, like, do you talk to all, all the other DJs or do you like, because there's lots of yeah. stuff that sort of happens naturally and no one seems to, it's always very hard to put your finger on what it is. It's very hard to put your finger on ooh, how people make it in the music uh, biz because, um, as you mentioned earlier on, there's no straight line, and it's about it's about is the art do the artist do they love making the music that they love, and that's got to be the main priority, and that's got to be. I think people can hear it if they don't or not. I suppose when I listen to music, I, I listen to things that sound comfortable and things that sound comfortable in their own skin. So regardless of genre, does it sound confident? And I don't mean swaggering confidence. I mean, just confident in its own skin. And in terms of um, radio play, you know, people say, well, you know, what, what artists are you most proud of playing early on who've gone on to big things? And of course there's loads, but radio play for me is just like part of that jigsaw. And this fits in with your graph that you were showing earlier on as well. It's part of the jigsaw. So um, people would sometimes get one play on a radio show and a radio station and expect things to kick off. And often they wouldn't because, <laughs> you know, God knows who was listening and, you know, people are busy. Um, so it's, it's, for me, it's part of a big jigsaw and it's a part of, it's a part of a, you've got to be part of a community, I think, as well. You've got to, you know, if nobody's coming to your gigs locally, why would you expect people to come to your gigs in other parts of the country where you live or, what, or whatever? Um, do you know what I mean? I think it has to start local. I think you have to have your champions and your supporters locally for things to blossom elsewhere. Because I like, I think that's interesting. Because I we did a, like a how we listen like a panel in Canada um, with Breakout, this organization called Breakout West, and they're on the call today. And and it was with these um, these two sisters who are rappers from Calgary in Canada, and they really talked about the community word, and it comes up a lot. But like, can you explain what community means to you? Because it aren't like we're on the internet, like, because it, 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 has it changed from 20 years ago where you knew your community was people, maybe in the area you lived in? Like, how do you see that? Yeah, I think it probably has changed a bit because I guess what I mean by community is it don't have to be local to you either. They can be like-minded music fans who run a similar club night or venue night in another part of the world. Um, but if they like what you do and you like what they do, then th that's your community. I suppose that's what I mean. But I also do mean local. I do mean, you know, working with your local venues and working with um, your local radios, your local shops, uh, your local, um, it doesn't have to be music shops, you know, just local creative scene. Um, because I think, you know, there's unity and strength there as well. 
So I think whilst it's easier to make music and it's, you know, it is still hard to get noticed and to make an impact, but if you can start things local, um, I think it's kind of like in your mind local, isn't it? Is what we, is, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I do, it's difficult one to pin down, but um, that's where it begins, I think. But and is, is it something like you mentioned all these things that you sort of possibly look for or notice when you hear new music? Do, do you do you see that sense of community as being a part of it? That you like, yeah. Say I think for so. example, yeah. b- b- band, bands in Cardiff, like you, you maybe have been out of town or something, or you keep hearing about a certain band you've never seen through certain people, like. Is is that what you mean that people exchange information by word of mouth or? Yeah, I mean that happens, and that's a natural thing to do. And if something's amazing, you'll hear about it. I do believe locally um, and uh, in your community, whether that be online or uh, if something stands out, if something's incredible, people want to share it, and people want you to come to the gig, and people want to put gigs on, and want festivals to book you and whatnot. So. You know, we found that in Wales. So, so I mean, take, for example, a record like Boyazuga, a band like Boyazuga a few years back. Um, they'd been in various bands and they'd been session musicians. And, you know, everybody was talking about suddenly Davey and Boyazuga's record, signed to Heavenly Records um, and, you know, playing every festival, playing every gig in, in Wales because they were fantastic. And it was that step up on the side of the venue that we're in now in Club of Bath, there's a massive mural of Gweno who um, is a Cardiff based artist um, and Gweno sings in Welsh and Cornish uh, she was brought up speaking both languages in Cardiff and um, she self-released the record through Pesky Records and then Heavenly Records picked up on it and have taken her around the world to lots of music collectors fa- uh, collections so um and was she also, sorry to interrupt, was she also in, she was previously in a band before, is that not correct? She, like, yeah, back in the day she was in the Pipettes, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then, but you know, that was a long, a, a while ago, um, she started making this kind of dystopian sci-fi influenced music um, in the Welsh language. Um, who'd have thunk that that would end up on Jules Holland and that Gweno would tour with... Uh, Manic Street Preachers or Ben Howard and play North America and all these incredible showcases around the world. But of course, she was confident and she had um, she had in- impeccable taste and she knew what she was doing. She had a vision for the record and for how it sounded. Um, she's an incredible performer. And so it worked. And that's that's interesting as well, because my I speak Welsh and English. I do two shows in the Welsh language on the BBC once every week as well. So to see bands, um, like obviously Super Furry Animals did it back in the day. They took um, an album called Mung, which they recorded in Welsh, into the top 20 um, in the album charts, which is um, kind of unheard of these days. Uh, And to see them doing well back in the day, and then more recently people like Nine Bach, who have won Radio 2 Folk Awards, um, and have toured Australia and played in Canada a bit, I think. And um, they sing only in Welsh as well. So it proves that music has no borders. It proves that people are open-minded and that people do like quality music, regardless of language uh, that it's sung in or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting one. Hey. 
sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that every one of these podcasts features a different guest. Each guest offers up great insights into the music industry. Like Mark's talk with Brendan Canning, co-founder of the supergroup Broken Social Scene. Brendan talks about fine-tuning the art of the side hustle and no plan B. Go and listen to that episode and dream big, but expect to work hard. So living in Sweden, there are a lot of bands that I quite like that, that sing in Swedish. And I'm always, and it's, it's the same in Canada where you have a, a large French population and they, and, and a, so a lot of artists sing in French as well. And, and I'm always, from your experience or, or what's been your experience with, with, with that, that do, do a lot of artists feel a pressure to sing because I think what, sort of what I was talking about at the start is a lot of artists feel pressure to do certain things. So do you feel artists feel pressure to not sing in Welsh because they <laughs> uh, feel that, or the reverse, or maybe it's the reverse that they feel, or do you think it comes up? Uh, thankfully, I don't think there is a pressure there now at all. Either way, I think it's, um, it's purely a personal choice for the artists. So, you know, if I think if you can sing in a language, then you tend to want to do it, I think, is what I found. So if you can't speak Welsh, then you're not going to, and that's fair enough, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think a, a lot of artists feel ownership over the Welsh language music scene, so they feel that they're part of it and they want to contribute and they want to creatively express themselves in a language that they can talk. So, yeah, there's no... It's, there's no pressure, I don't think, um, only from 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 them, themselves, I think. Huh. Um, and then let's talk again, going back to say, I think when we were talking last, you, you, you were saying that the, when was the last time there was a band, a Welsh band on the playlist at Radio 1? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, in terms of bands from Wales, man, yes. it's probably... I guess, I think High Contrast might have been the uh, last Welsh artist who is a drum and bass DJ based in uh, just outside Cardiff and yeah, was on hospital records for a long time. Um, I mean, it's tricky. I think in the UK, London still is the centre of the music industry. Um, I think things are easier there if you're an artist who uh, wants to play a more um, uh, major label game. I think it's definitely the place to be. Um, and I, But at the same time, I think creativity is everywhere and talent is everywhere. So I don't, you know, I've always been an advocate of not moving to London and staying there. I've always been a fan of people doing things locally and, you know, you can, everybody can travel to London if they want to. So, um, yeah, so... It's. Uh, I think COVID has changed things in terms of things like this um, and in terms of conferences and in terms of people collaborating. I've heard more artists in Wales collaborating over the past year than ever before, just because they weren't afraid to DM somebody and to send them a little Instagram message going, you know, do you want to sing on my beat or whatever? And that's a fantastic thing, I think. I think people are always scared of... You know who's in charge of this? Who are the gatekeepers and horrible things like this? And um, 
and who do I, you know, who do I contact to make get all my dreams come true? Whereas actually, you just reach out and you just talk to people. And there's always somebody at the end of a phone or at the end of an email who will either ignore you and will never answer your email or might well answer your email and say, actually, yeah. I like your music. But if they don't answer, they probably don't like it. And you have to crack on with it then, don't you? What, what about social stats and Spotify plays? Do people say, hey, Hugh, this record's great. They've got X amount of Twitter followers. Do you think, d- does that mean anything to you? No, no, it doesn't for me personally. But of course, when I present radio shows, they tend to be specialist radio shows and I have the luxury of playing them. I guess when you're moving on to a playlist at a station or something, I think those things might matter, actually. I think people might say that they don't, but I think they probably do. Um, having said that, I think... Everybody in the music industry likes to think of themselves as somebody apart from the music industry and likes to think they're like a little bit different to everybody else. And actually, hey, I'm the music guy. I'm the music lady in this part of the world. Uh, So um, I think people do like trusting their own ears and people do like taking a gamble. And people like finding things that um, other people haven't heard of. People do like that. Magazines like it. Uh, Radio shows love it. Um, as long as it sounds great to the person that's going to play it at the end. So, I, you know, I wouldn't worry about stats unless you love Instagramming. If you love doing Insta stories, if you love tweeting, and if you love sharing your life, then obviously crack on. But if it's not comfortable, <laughs> then you really shouldn't worry about it. Now, I've, uh, we haven't talked too much about pluggers, but we've just had a couple questions. One from um, Olive, one from Liz. So Liz says, does working with a radio press plugger, so PRs or radio pluggers, help getting a band played? It does. And, you know, the good ones are great, and the bad ones will take your money and promise you the world. So it's about trust, isn't it? It's about to what you were saying earlier in your opening statement, Mark. Does it feel right in your gut doing, giving somebody money to work on your thing? If it doesn't, then don't do it. Um, a lot of good ones will do things because they love it and will want to do stuff for free at the beginning to help out. Um, a lot of ones will just want to check and will tell you that they will get played on these places and sent to these people. But a lot of this work can be done, I think, by the artists themselves if they do a little bit of homework in terms of listening to shows. Is the music relevant? Um, does, you know, the local DJ go to their shows or what and, and whatnot and whatever. So it's, um, it's complex and there's some great press and radio people out there who um, will do a really good job. But I think normally you can tell if they are into it or not. Is there anything that if you had to put your finger on it, that you need to be watching out for? Because I know that a lot of artists struggle with this, that they're not, they're never sure what they should do if they should. Are there things? Well, like, I think what, anybody p- promising plays on any, on any way is risky because you can't do that. You can't promise plays on any shows. You can't say, oh, so-and-so is going to love this and they'll, I'll get them to play it if you pay me 500 bucks. It's um, surely it's better to be, surely it's better for everybody, the radio plugger and the artist that everyone's on the same page and we'll see what happens, you know? We'll take it from here and we'll see where we can get with this rather than specifics. Um, but it's it's a tricky one because there's, 
you know, DJs are just humans at the end of the day and they want to play stuff that they like. And I know, for example, there's some DJs on Six Music who love um, being, you know, uh, who love a handwritten a little note. So irrelevant to the show. So I mean, that proves that the artist listens. Um, when you think about something like Steve Lamack going to see idols playing in Bristol and bumping into them in a pub, that was the first time you met them, I think. Um, and, you know, just getting on and then then becoming his favourite band and Idols becoming one of the biggest bands in the UK. You know, that happens on a trust basis and on a friendship basis. Um, and I know it's hard to make those magic moments happen, but you can't make those magic moments happen because they're magic moments. I think that says a lot. That It's exactly how I feel for sure. Okay, well, let's take one last question. Do you have any special considerations when programming international artists compared to UK-based artists? And well, we could a, even we could yeah. even take that when we talk about um, uh, Welsh and other international, like in combination. Sure, that's an interesting one. Thank you, Andrea, for the question. Um, international artists. Um, well, first of all, what, what, does, she, does Andrea mean playing them on the radio? Um, if so. Um, I'll be honest, it's always exciting when an international artist sends you something to play on the radio um, because it's the unknown, isn't it? It's different and it's, you know, it's who it's Hjeltlin from Iceland or it's who, Casio Kids from Norway or whatever. Uh, it's always, that was 10 years ago, I know, but it's exciting. <laughs> um, and so, no, I mean, I think um, singing... Uh, because I'm a Welsh speaker, I think I'm always more open to um, lang native languages being sung. It doesn't have to be in English. Um, I loved when I was in M for Montreal many years ago, seeing Ibey playing before it was before they signed to XL Records, and they just absolutely blew me away. Played them on the radio and so on. So I think making music that you know if. There's an audience out there for everybody, I think. And if you make music that's super hyper local or, you know, um, traditional to your part of the world, there'll be an audience for that at some point because we've never heard it before. And I think that's the true, true for a lot of Welsh artists as well. You know, a lot of the world hasn't heard the Welsh language, but Ninebach, for example, want to sing in Welsh and take that music elsewhere and people are interested in our history and our culture in the same way I'm interested in other people's history and culture um and when I say history and culture that could be a punk band from LA you know like I'm interested in that because we don't have as many punk bands doing what a lot of the LA punk bands do over here it's the same with rap music from Canada um you know it's there's it a different sound to it and so being that it's back to that confidence thing and being that confident and uh, making music that you really want to make and love making that, that says it all, I think, because it, it, it people understand and can hear the, the, the quality in it straight away. I think that last comment is just a perfect way to end really because. Okay. Bye. I, <laughs> oh, sorry. No. Hey, thanks everyone. Thanks for, we yeah. need, we need, we need a wine. We need to wind down with you, but I, I just, th down. I just think that says it all because I think so many people have an expectation that there's going to be a simple solution that if you do this or that and i think they a lot of the time people forget that people like music i feel encouraged to hear you say that after all this time nice one everyone and thanks for having me mark it was and brilliant thanks so much this and was thanks awesome. to club Bach and focus wales for oh yeah 
and Kat and Andy for speaking. Yeah, man. And everybody, thanks so much, everybody, for all the questions. It was brilliant. Have a good night and keep the faith. Thanks, everyone. Hey, it's Mark Brown again. Thanks for listening. I wanted to thank our special guest, Hugh Stevens, for taking the time to chat. And I want to thank our partners as well, Clue for Bach and Focus Wales. Plus, thanks to Jamie Ford, who makes sure each conversation goes off without a hitch, and our podcast producer and editor, Colin McKenzie. The How We Listen Live in Conversation podcasts are brought to you by Beta, Beta.com. Beta enables sending and receiving of digital audio in a clean, simple, and secure way, built for everyone working with music today. Each month, I speak with someone new who works in and around the music ecosystem. If you want to attend our live online series, these events take place on the last Tuesday of every month, are free to sign up and to attend. Take in the workshop and get in on the conversation. Go to beta.com for more information. And thanks for listening. Get in touch if you have any questions. Bye.